Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. Coming up. There was a hair that was recovered at the time of her murder inside one of her hands. That hair was processed and a full profile was obtained. Nine trees were constructed with almost 1,300 individuals connected to the suspect. For Vault Studios, I'm Will Johnson. You're listening to The Daily Crime. 34 years later, the murder of a California woman is finally solved. There were no arrests and not even a suspect named previously in the fatal stabbing of single mom Diane Don inside her Santee apartment back in 1988. Detectives say forensic genetic evidence broke this case open. I myself was going to go to my grave not knowing. I'm so grateful to the detectives and everything that has been done. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. I'm joined by Heather Hope at CBS 8 KFMB in San Diego. Heather, thanks for being here with us to talk about this case. We appreciate it. Hi, yes. Great to be here. Before we get into what we know about what happened back in 1988, tell us a little bit about Diane Don and what we know about her. Diane Don, from all the pictures that we've seen of her, it's she's always with her violin, so that was cool uh, to see. And then after talking with her sister, um, just learning more that she was uh, a student in, in Austria as a foreign exchange student, that her family originally from the New Jersey area, they later moved out to, to California, and her parents were also in the, the East San Diego County area um, in El Cajon, and that um, the sisters kind of lost touch, but they both had uh, children at the same time, um, about 1986. But um, cool to see more about her her musical background and that she was a radio repair tech and one of the first for the, the San Diego company that she worked for. So that was great as well. She seemed to be uh, like a Jane of many trades. And she was 29 years old back in 1988, living in Santee, California. Tell us what we know about what happened on May 2nd of 1988. On that day, we know that um, Diane was supposed to go to work, and um, it's unclear uh, what led up to the incident, but her her son is at home with her, just her two-year-old toddler, and then what we know from the next day is that her, her co-worker, who normally, you know, is given a ride to work by Diane, uh, doesn't show up. She goes to the home or sends her husband there, and then he, um, you know, finds Diane, her body, her nude body, sprawled on the the floor, bludgeoned with visible stab wounds. And from there is where this cold case begins as um, San Diego County Sheriff's deputies trying to piece together what is really going on. And then her son is left wandering the apartment complex, um, not knowing what's going on at that time. And so from then they did have some 
DNA evidence on her body. They're trying to piece together, oh, is this going to be a part of a serial killer that's going around a town? There was one that was infamous from there and in Birmingham, Alabama at the time. They ruled him out because no one's um, DNA uh, tested with um, any criminals they had in their file. No one had any motive. So the case really just remained cold for, for years. It wasn't until each decade that um, investigators would return back to the scene and try to see what happened that day in, in 1988 and why. Again, that's 1988. They kept some evidence uh, underneath her fingernails, right? And, and, and even a piece of hair. And this comes into play many years later. Yes. Yeah, so I guess in, in 2000, they tried to test out some DNA as we continued to advance and um, more technological advancement. 2000, they weren't able to get any hits within their database uh, based on DNA or anyone's in the system. But it wasn't until the breakthrough in 2020 where we see more uh, cases being solved by this genetic type of um, genealogy system that people are using, you know, they help solve the, the Golden State Killer in California, longtime uh, serial killer. And then in 2020 pandemic, when no one probably thought that this cold case would be solved, they were able to get a hit based on a hair that was found in Diane Don's hand. And they said they exhausted nearly all the other evidence at the time. And thankfully, they had a piece of the hair. They've already used the majority of it. They were able to process. And through that processing, they were able to construct a DNA profile. And then, But it wasn't until they were, had to put together nine family trees via an online uh, database where um, people like just like uh, 23andMe and Ancestry.com were able to opt in for law enforcement to use their, their names and search their trees. And through these nine family trees, they're able to find different relatives. They have to go through the case of calling and tracking down these relatives of what is believed to be um, murder of Diane Don and getting their consent, getting uh, blood samples, all those tests to build the family tree further to create this criminal profile to say, hey, this guy, Warren Robertson, is the one who did it. So I want to talk more about this suspect uh, and who they've identified, Warren Robins, Robertson. And you mentioned nine family trees. And, you know, when we get into discussions about genetic genealogy, and in this case they call it investigative genetic genealogy, uh, I've seen from your reporting, uh, you know, it, we can talk about it, but it's really difficult to even wrap your head around how much work that can take when you're talking about, you know, 1,300 people that they looked at in these nine family trees, around 1,300 is my understanding. So it's just, it's a massive undertaking. Yes, and it was interesting to find out that through uh, this mass connection, they were able to trace an ancestor as far back as 1817. And so to find like a mutual ancestor through all this and to be able to track down the suspect Warren Robertson from a DNA test and being able to piece all that together among all the 1,300 individuals, among all the family trees, to trace these common ancestors back to this Warren Robertson. So Diane Don murdered in 1988, this just horrific scene, her two-year-old son there at the time. Many years later, decades later, they finally identify Warren Robertson through investigative genetic genealogy. Is he still alive? Tell us more about him. 
Warren Robertson was interesting because this is someone that, you know, no one suspected. The family said they knew, uh, Diane Don's family said they had, you know, no knowledge of him. And then learning from more about him, we're like, oh, this is this uh, tow truck driver who was born in Arkansas and then moved to, to San Diego later in his life. He was about the same age as Diane Don. She's 29. He's 28 at the time in 1988, living in the same apartment complex as uh, Diane Don with his wife. So it's unclear how the two ever connected because, you know, police say there was no sign of a visible break-in, no home invasion type style, nothing uh, mysterious with the lock. So we don't know if he just appeared to her that night saying, I'm a neighbor or whatever the case was. This is one other common um, thing beyond them being neighbors was that they both went to the El Cajon Speedway, which was a big attraction at the time to see the race cars and that they both either had ticket stubs or shown previous history there. So they may have known each other from this time. It's really unclear how their connection, whatever relationship, maybe beyond neighbors could have been at that time. But right after what um, police say the murder took place by Warren Robertson, he skips town. He leaves San Diego County altogether um, after spending a little bit of town more, um, maybe like 20 miles away from the murder site and just moves to Indiana. No one really hears from at the time, not even his children. And it wasn't until 1999 where it said that Robertson uh, died in a house fire. And so that's when trying to track down, is he really the suspect? They had to go through a DNA test and tracking down um, you know, different of his children's mothers and getting that contact to then identify, hey, we think this guy did it. So in, in the end, there's some closure. I, I know that you spoke to, or the station spoke to the son who was just two at the time, and he was able to comment on this. But uh, in this case, you've also got someone who has died a long time ago. Yes. And so for the son, he's now in the Seattle area, and we were able to talk with um, his aunt at the, the time. Um, so Diane Don's sister, so she was physically there with us with the, the sheriffs last week, and uh, we were able to um, see a, a video that sheriffs, when they talk to the son, Mark Byer, and, you know, look at him now, 34 years later, after he was uh, adopted by one of Diane Don's close friends, and, you know, just grew up with uh, those boys and those brothers, not knowing anything um, about his mother. And that's what um, Diane Don's sister was pretty remiss about. She wished that, you know, the son could have known more about this great violinist and great person that the mom was. But for him, it still was a sense of closure, not um, knowing exactly who his mom was or having any early memories. But still, uh, people always say, oh, you look just like your mom or you're a free spirit just like your mom. And But there's still so many uh, questions out there. So he said this case brought closure to him, even for someone he really didn't even know. He was so glad that investigators took the time more than three decades later to still keep staying on this case and find it in result. I'm in an interesting position because I was so young, I don't have many memories. The answers that my family received, it's closure. And closure is everything, even after so much time had passed. Heather Hope, thanks for being here with us. We appreciate your help. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Thanks for listening to The Daily Crime. Be sure to check out our weekly show, True Crime Chronicles, available wherever you listen to podcasts. For Vault Studios, I'm Will Johnson.